You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 262 of Podcateers. What do NASA, 3D printing, Adam Savage from Mythbusters, and Gavin all have in common? Well, keep listening and you'll find out. Plus, in this episode, we also talk about who in the Disney company, past or present, we would like to sit and have a conversation with. We'd love to hear who you would like to sit and chat with, and you can do that by joining the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. You can also leave a comment on the blog post for this episode at podcateers.com slash 262. Quick note, we all had prior obligations on our regular recording days, including a couple of us going out of town. So we recorded this episode prior to some great news about the Main Street Cinema. So we'll be touching on that in the next episode. If you like what you hear and you would like to help us grow, a great way to do that is by becoming part of the FGP Squad. The FGP Squad are our podcast fairy godparents, and it's their support via Patreon that help make these episodes of Podcateers possible. If you would like more information on how you can become part of the FGP Squad, just head over to podcateers.com FGP. As always, a huge thank you goes out to the FGP Squad for their support. If you'd like to help out the podcast but can't join the FGP squad, it's okay. We have another great way to help. The next time you need to buy something from Amazon, start by going to podcateers.com Amazon and clicking on the large Amazon button. That will take you to Amazon's homepage using our special referral link and anything you buy will earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon for mentioning them on this podcast. If you're already doing this before your purchases, we'd like to take this opportunity to thank you as well. And that is going to wrap it up for this intro. So let's do this podcast thing. Here is episode 262 of Podcateers. Yeah, let's just get it done. Let's do it. All right. All right. You guys do that? I'll bring coffee. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All bases covered. Right. That's funny. Uh, this is totally not Disney related, but I just thought it was super, super cool. Uh, did you guys ever watch the movie Hidden Figures? Yeah. Oh, not yet. It's on my list, though, okay. for sure. It is a fantastic film if any listeners don't know what the film is about it's essentially about the women that worked at nasa and were kind of the quote-unquote human computers that essentially helped astronauts and all of the engineers and scientists land on the moon and go into space for the very first time it highlights katherine johnson dorothy vaughn mary jackson and there there wasn't a lot of representation for them around or at NASA. And this last week, uh, I saw NASA posted on their Twitter account that the street in front of their building is now called Hidden Figures Way. That is so That's cool. That's awesome. I thought that was such a great homage <laughs> to them because now, I mean, for the people that saw the film, they obviously understand, you know, how much and how intricate they were to get us into space. But I, I mean, just the fact that they use that name and everything, I think it, yeah. it symbolizes so much. I think it's a very positive yeah. thing, and I like the fact that they did that. That's so cool. Where where was that? Was that at the Kennedy Space Center, Johnson? 
Uh, great. Where where was that? Let me see. Hold Do you on. know? It was in the article. Hold on. Where's the headquarters? Uh, I believe the headquarters are at Washington, the Johnson right? Space Center in Houston, I think is where the headquarters are. I think it's in Washington, though. They may have their main office in Washington. Yeah. That's true. I think... That's true, yeah. I think it's the one in Washington where they put it up. I, I could be that's mistaken, but... pretty awesome, I will then. double check, and if I need to correct wow. that, I'll put it in the blog post, but... Uh, yeah, what a great homage. So glad that they did right. it. And congratulations. You know. Very, very cool. You know, it's interesting. I've had the chance to talk to several NASA employees at my current job because we sell them 3D printers and 3D printing plastics Shut all the time. Up. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I sold some just this week to the uh, Ames Research Center here in California. So, Dude, that is super the, cool. Yeah, every... Every industry, most specifically every aeronautical and military entity whatsoever is using 3D printing because it is definitely one of the things that's the wave of the future. Do you by any chance know if it's 3D printing for modeling purposes or are they actually using them for parts to replace things that are broken? Yeah, most of the time um, 3D printing is going to be used for prototyping. Okay. Uh, so not finished parts, but there are some parts that are definitely being printed and used directly. Oh, nice. Um, for example, wow. in like the FAA has approved certain parts of commercial airplanes to be 3D printed out of certain plastics. Oh, okay. So, yeah. And so basically, if they're not a part that shows like to the passenger, like that, you know, doesn't need to look like all perfect and you know uh injection molded and slick and all that if it's just purely a functional part then i mean you can 3d print almost anything like buttons on the control panels sure yeah actually we sell there so this can go we can do this loop forever by the way because 3d printing is being used in every application imaginable but you say that and it triggers in my mind um we sell to a pinball machine restorer who replaces the uh, translucent buttons that have lights that go behind them on pinball machines. Wait, so you can so, 3D print translucent stuff? Absolutely. What? 100%. Yeah, dude. <laughs> this is cool. This yeah. is fascinating. Oh my God, I'm so excited right now. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, yeah you, can, you can basically ask, can you do this with 3D printing? And I will say yes and have a story about it no matter what it is. That's awesome. So, I'm glad you yeah. said that and I'm glad you brought this up because I have a bone to pick with you right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is about a certain uh, suit, isn't Here's it? Here's the deal. Uh-oh. So you're so excited about being able to print all this cool new stuff with your 3D printers. But as I recall, you still owe me an Iron Man suit. Okay. Oh, you like I owe we, we you talked this? about this. You said you were gonna give it to me. You were gonna make one. You were gonna size my fat head, and then we were gonna somehow make all that stuff happen, right? And mm-hmm. Adam Savage seems to have beat you to the punch. Adam Savage has mad resources, bro. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he does. Adam Savage, of course, of Mythbusters fame, is back on Discovery with a brand new show called A Savage Builds. And, you know, in one of the episodes for this brand new show, he builds an Iron Man suit. Yeah. Fully functional. <laughs> I mean, not fully functional because yeah. he can't fly and, like, he can't, mm-hmm. he doesn't have repulsors and all that stuff. But 
it is an Iron Man suit that was 3D printed. Now It's pretty dope. Now, it's not the first time that he's tackled something like this. Back in 2012, I want to say, he built the original Mark I Iron Man suit, the one that Tony used to get out of the cave in Iron Man 1. Um, but the fact that this one was all 3D printed is really what made me think, what's the holdup, Gavin? Where's my Iron Man suit? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and just to continue the theme, my employer has worked with a couple of Mythbusters as well. <laughs> what? Whoa. I'm telling you, it goes on and on and on. <sighs> okay. Yeah. We, we sell to most of the major studios for prop making. Um, I mean... 3D printing is everywhere. You know, speaking of 3D printing, I actually might need your help creating a replacement part. This is why I was kind of asking about the NASA oh, sure. thing because uh, I have – you guys know I'm, I'm big on trains, right? Love the Disneyland mm-hmm. trains and everything. Love Carol Wood uh, over at Walt's Barn, Griffith Park and stuff. I have an old train that uh, I received as a gift a long time ago. And one of the pieces that spins the wheels broke. And so it won't move now because there's nothing to project or propel the wheels forward. So I have a feeling that if I can 3D model it, that if I 3D print Mm -hmm. one, I can. Because this this train isn't made anymore. I can't just buy parts for it. And so I figure that if I made a 3D version of it, I can give it to you. And you can print out the part that I need and get that train functioning again. Because it's cool. Like, yeah, you dude. add the little oil to it and everything, and it puffs smoke and stuff. And I love I, that. I love it. And so I want to kind of get that train rolling again because I miss having a tree with uh, a Christmas tree, you know, with a train sure. around it and stuff. And I, I sure. want that this year if we can make it happen now. Yeah, we can We can cook something it'll, up, I'm sure. It'll be good because I can have the train. If you can find schematics for it specifically, that would be great. Or depending on how recently it went out of production, there might be 12 3D years files. ago. Yeah, not likely then. Yeah. But that's why I'm thinking know. I might have to take the other piece, measure mm-hmm. it out, and then model it myself to give you the 3d file have you this is so freaking tangential at this point but have you looked at thingiverse uh yes i have and And i looked at it well i haven't searched for that part in particular but i have searched there for other 3d models of stuff uh primarily Mm -hmm. a lot of disney model stuff that i wanted to try to recreate (laughs) uh and yeah, I mean, I, I'll double check and I'll check a couple of the train forums that I know of. But it's so old that I don't mm-hmm. think I'm going to find it anywhere. But, I mean, okay. I I know my way around 3D software. So, I sure. mean, I could also just measure it out and build it, which isn't a big, big deal to me. And because the part is, is pretty flat, there mm-hmm. aren't a lot of grooves or anything to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it'll be simple enough that, you know. It it will be able to replicate it fairly quickly and easily. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. So now that we've bored everybody, <laughs> uh, thank you for indulging us on this talk about three D printing. Oh, dude, I'm sorry. I gotta mention three D printing one more time. But now I'm gonna <laughs> tie it into Disneyland. I gotta tie it into Disneyland. Sweet. Okay. Uh, who is the model maker on Instagram that you sent me? Who's building the three D models of things in the park? Um, the one that I sent you, I believe was, um, I think it's just called mini haunted mansion. He did an entire 
mansion building from Disneyland, like 360 degrees all the way around from actual schematics, from Disney schematics, printed the whole thing. He was going to enter it into the D23 design challenge, but decided not to. Um, And it is unfreaking believable i think he's currently now working on the disney world version oh wow it's amazing i know dude the model of the haunted mansion is so spot on right and i'm looking at it right now and it's like mind-blowing right yes so if you guys want to go check that out while you're listening. Uh, Mini Haunted Mansion on Instagram. Uh, if you want to check it out, I'm also going to put it in the blog post for the episode over at podcasters.com slash 262. And oh, my. It is amazing. <laughs> it, it has uh, electronics in it. So there's a shot about five rows down if you go to the um, profile right now. That looks like yeah. it's just a nighttime shot of the mansion at the park, but no, that's his model, and he just dropped trees and a night sky behind it. Ugh. It's freaking amazing. I love man. it. Now, here's the deal. Everything wow. looks amazing, but if he built that little mailbox that's in the back... <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, yes. I should ask him if he did that. <laughs> That'll be like oh, the piece de resistance. I'm yes. sure I butchered that, but... That's as close to French as I can get since I don't speak French. I dig it. So, uh, anyhow, I guess that's how we can wrap 3D printing back into Disney if people are still listening by now. (laughs) Um, uh, Since we're talking about building, uh, it looks like Disney received some permits from the city of Anaheim in order to start building out the Marvel expansion and what's most interesting about it is that it looks like it's going to have a microbrew. Nice. Yeah. Look, California Adventure already has alcohol, right? That's so right. it's not that far-fetched to, to think that there's going to be alcohol inside of this Marvel-themed area. But the fact that they're building an entire microbrew in that area is most surprising to me because it looks like they're also there's also going to be like a full featured marvel shopping experience kind of like world of disney but marvel themed inside of there for you to make purchases uh it's not something that bugs land really had before i mean it in a weird way bugs land I know wasn't an afterthought. I know that it was thought out and the original theming with the tractors and the caterpillar machinery and everything that was there when it first opened was one thing. Then, you know, we got Bugs Land. Uh, but the way that it was set up between Hollywood Land or back then when it was Tower of Terror, now Mission Breakout, and the way that it kind of weaves into Cars Land or that, you know, that turn that connects mm-hmm. uh, the back of Grizzly Peak with Cars Land it just felt hidden. It just felt like it was kind of an afterthought, right? So mm-hmm. this yeah. area that Gavin has very lovingly dubbed Stark Park, and I'm oh, so yeah. on board to name it this, <laughs> uh, if we can have a giant fountain in the middle with just Tony Stark in all his glory just standing there, oh, we can have like the arc reactor Little homage, proof that Tony Stark had a heart. Yes. Oh! <laughs> I'm, oh. 
And on the bottom, it's going to say, I love you 3,000. <laughs> there you go. I will start crying. <laughs> I mean, I always honestly kind of envisioned a uh, Walt style kind of a partner's statue, but with Stan Lee somewhere in there. Ooh. That's what I would like to see. If we're going to have a partner's like statue, it's going to have Iron Man and Spider Man. Oh, okay. Oh. I know. I know. <laughs> All the feels, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, the fact that this microboost is coming, I think, is super exciting. Uh, what do you think they'll do as far as theming is concerned? Because they are promising that they're going to have some Marvel-themed drinks like they do in Batu sure. at, the, at the cantina. Uh, you want to throw out some drink ideas? <laughs> Dude, let the armchair... Drinkaneering begin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, they could go wild with this. You know, they could have like a Stark teeny because you know he's gonna be drinking something like that. Um, Yeah. Golly, there's so many ideas. Like you could have a a Thanos Infinity Gauntlet style goblet, like an Infinity Goblet filled with a Long Island iced tea style cocktail with. A liquor for every infinity stone. Like, you could just go nuts, That's right? That's cool. Like, I think, <laughs> man, they could have a lot of fun. You could have shots for some of the characters, like a, or like a beer flight for Captain America. Yep. Like, I mean, they could go, I just have a million ideas just thinking about it for the next, for the first minute, you know? And like, knowing what they did at Lamplight Lounge with some of their themed drinks and what they did at the Cantina in Galaxy's Edge. They, they. I like that they get creative. You know, you go to most bars and yeah. they can make you the basics, you know, like the art of bartending is kind of a lost art in many ways. So I love that Disney kind of gets really creative with their cocktails yeah. and they've got some really fun stuff, some really fun looking stuff. And I think that's a big, a big deal with alcoholic drinks is if you can make it fun looking, it adds to the experience so man i think they could they could go all the way with this i mean oh the stark teeny would have to have some sort of a glowing cube in it yes. like all of the a tiny arc a reactor lot of the specialty yes yes Ooh. yes i'm so like, on board so, with this oh yeah i i tell you what i think that's a great idea i i think that um dca could use another spot like that because you know, those things are popular and sometimes it can be a little hard to, you know, enjoy some of those spots. So having one more, I think, would kind of spread out the the accessibility. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's in a new area for that kind of a thing, too. So I don't know. I, I'm on board for it. You know, I know that certain people aren't as big a fan of having alcohol at the parks, but I feel like they do a pretty good job of managing it yeah um i think oh, yeah. bad behavior is extremely rare at the park um due to alcohol and i think that's because they do a good job of managing it so to me it's just another type of magic you can experience at dca yeah absolutely one of the things i think will remain to be seen is whether or not they'll leave they'll let you leave with your drinks the way that you can mm. in other locations at california adventure because uh, for those of uh, of you that have been to the cantina in Batu, if you tried to leave with your drink, they told you you have to drink it here. You cannot yeah. leave mm-hmm. with a drink into Galaxy's Edge. So that's one way of regulating it. 
And considering that California Adventure already is open to alcohol and you can walk around with a beer cup, I'm wondering if they're going to regulate it like they did uh, in Batu, or if they'll let you just kind of walk out with whatever you get as a drink. I guess most of it might depend on whether or not it's going to be served in a plastic cup or a, a glass, you know, like mm-hmm. a beer glass or something, considering that it might also have food, right? If it's a right. microbrew, it might yeah. also have food to complement the drink. So uh, mm-hmm. not a lot is known about it. Obviously, the area is going to be opening in 2020. So I'm pretty sure that we're going to get a lot more information at the D23 Expo this year. Which uh, I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to be able to go to, by the way. What? I, I no. realized that I have a prior commitment that weekend that I'm now trying to figure out if I can move or skip. And um, yeah, I'm kind of afraid now because uh, it, it uh... might determine whether or not I go to the expo this year. And I'm kind of bummed out about it. So I'm frantically yeah. trying to figure out what to do now. Man. I know. Ugh. Anyway. Before we jump into our main topic, I do want to remind you that this episode of Podcateers, like all others, is brought to you by the generosity of our podcast fairy godparents who like to call themselves the FGP Squad. For information on how you can become part of the FGP Squad, you can head over to podcateers.com FGP. This month, we're giving back to the FGP squad. And so on Patreon, we will be posting when our first giveaway will happen. So FGP squad, that announcement is coming for you. Look out for it as a post on Patreon. Again, if you would like to join, you can get a little more information on the FGP squad and a link to join at podcateers.com FGP if you want to be eligible for any of those giveaways to all of the members of the FGP squad. We just want to say thank you for all of your continued support. Let's have some fun. Ah, I'm looking forward to these. <laughs> nice. Let's jump into this week's topic. This was an interesting topic idea. I, I really like this because we've talked about this before and we wanted to share some of the people uh, within the Disney company that we would want to sit down with, have lunch with, either that have passed or are living. If we had the opportunity, who would that be? So as we're talking, we'd love for you to think about who you would like to sit and chat with and have lunch with and just Disney nerd out with. Now, before we start, I think uh, the one ground rule that we would want to set is obviously we would all want to sit down and have lunch with Walt Disney, right? I think that's a given. Can we agree on that? We can agree on that. Okay. So let's take Walt off the table. You know, he'll be the one person that's off limits, considering that I think everybody would want to sit down and have lunch with him. Um, Let's do this roundtable style like we normally do, like armchair Imagineering and that stuff. Sure. Sure. Who wants to go first? I'll kick it off. All right. Okay. All right. So I've got a list that kind of covers most of the major eras of the Disney company. The first person I'm going to mention is an actor of Disney films. And to me, it's one of the quintessential, like most Disney-esque people in film, I feel like. When I think of Disney film, one of the first people I think of, um, and that is Haley Mills. 
Oh, wow. I adore Haley Mills. I love her films. I love her charm and charisma on screen. She, to me, has all of what that first original golden era of Disney film, like, brought us. You know, just that wonderful romance and charm on screen. And to me, she's like the flag bearer for that. So... I've always had a bit of a crush on Haley Mills, even when she was Aww. Miss Bliss for Saved by the Bell. I was going to say. Uh, that, uh, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, my first introduction to Haley Mills was not Disney related. It was technically Good Morning Miss Bliss slash Saved by uh-huh. the Bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, lots of fond memories of Haley Mills. So she is my first choice. I think she would make for lovely lunch conversation. That's a good Thanks. choice. Yeah. Um, I'll go next. Is that cool? Yeah. Sure. All right. So I, I was really thinking about who I would want to talk to that is essentially not mainstream in the Disney company, but would be able to tell me some amazing stories. And so mm-hmm. my list does comprise of people that are mainstream and can tell you amazing stories. And we've heard from before but the first, you know, two or three that I wanted to mention are almost uh, forgotten. Uh, part of the reason I want to bring them up is because these people I chose partly because of the NASA announcement, the Hidden Figures oh, announcement. Cool. And so the first person that I think I would want to talk to is Tommy Loreen Wilk. Now, if that name doesn't sound familiar to you, uh, it is because... Tommy was uh, joined the Walt Disney Company in 1958, and she was the Secretary of the Exterior. So basically, she was Walt's personal secretary from 1958 to 1966. Rings a bell. Yeah. Her character comes out in Saving Mr. Banks. Yes. 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 He is the one that you see in in Saving Mr. Banks. So Walt always considered her like the sassy one, right? That would stand up to him and just kind of like never take (laughs) guff from Walt, essentially. Um, But um, Tommy was one of the people that kind of helped establish how things went on in the studio. So she was normally the one that would get the calls from uh, other employees or cast members, and they would often ask, hey, is Walt in a good mood? And that's kind of where the ball got rolling with the, well, Walt's got his wounded bear suit on. And so if you ever heard that, you knew not to approach Walt because he was in a grumpy mood. Um, One thing that I think isn't really known about Tommy is that When Mary Poppins was in production, Walt was originally considering Bette Davis for the role of Mary Poppins. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because the book uh, talked about a middle-aged woman, Tommy suggested Julie Andrews. At the time, she was appearing on Broadway in Camelot. So Walt Mm -hmm. went and, you know, he watched her and was blown away. And so we ended up with Julie Andrews as Mary Poppins because of Tommy's suggestion. Nice. I I feel like there's a lot of stories like that, that she would be able to tell us about Walt and his time in the studio that I I don't think are necessarily heard, you know? So 
Uh, she would be one person that I would have loved to sit down and just eat lunch with and just listen to stories about, you know, Walt in the studio. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, that she could tell you some stories, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So my list kind of is within the company and within the parks. Okay. Okay. And I actually liked that you mentioned Tommy because who I would love to have lunch with is Ub Iwerks. Oh, Because yes. yeah. I've always wondered, you know, to be a f- like a fly on the wall when Oswald and Mickey are being drawn and created. Mm-hmm. Um, just to sit down and chat with him. And, he, you know, we hear the stories of how they were created, but to hear like the in-depth, the raw emotion behind that, I could sit down and listen to someone talk. If they're going to give me a history of something I'm really passionate about, it could be fascinating yeah. to, to hear the recounting of how it happened, how they mm-hmm. went through. And, you know, if he wants to vent, vent, because I'm sure there was <laughs> some times oh, where yeah. it's like tough. So I think it'd be fun to like sit down with him and, and just hear him out and just let him talk. I mean, yeah. I think it'd be really cool. Yeah, I agree. He almost made my list. Uh, I had a hard time not including him. But, yeah, I totally agree. he's so quintessential to the foundation of the Disney company. Mm -hmm. And he was, I would kind of consider him the first wizard that the company employed. You know, he, he became the master of all the special effects. And I mean, the guy was just talented beyond belief. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not just with Disney, right? Because technically when Ub left Disney, you know, he went on oh, to true. work for Leon Schlesinger Productions, otherwise mm-hmm. known as Warner Brothers. You know, right. so that was kind of the beginning of that company. And so he had a hand in the golden age of, of television for that side of animation yeah. as well. So I think hearing the stories of the compare and contrast between the the different cultures and how things were developed and how they all kind of came to be, I think would be mm-hmm. super interesting. So that's yeah. an awesome choice, Mel. Totally. Thanks. All right. Back to me. I basically, the rest of my list are creators. Um, it's no shock that I love the artists and Imagineers most of all in the Disney company. Uh, they're the ones that inspire me the most. So this next one is a current Imagineer, one who has been the head of many mega blockbuster uh, endeavors throughout the world. Uh, world traveler, art historian extraordinaire. I know where this is going. <laughs> we both have smiles Earring on collector <laughs> of earring collectors. <laughs> None other than Mr. Joe Rohde. Yes. Nice. <laughs> the stories of adventure and exploration and creative challenges that Mr. Rohde could regale one with could probably keep you busy for a hundred lunch dates. And to me, he is one person who is still right in the thick of it. You know, he is in leadership in Imagineering. He led the way for the entire Animal Kingdom Park in its original inception. He led the way for Pandora, World of Avatar, um, so many other projects uh, within uh, the parks around the world. 
and I just enjoy his passion and his excitement for what he does and the way that he can contextualize it and show you where all of the influences come from, Yes, you know, from the world of art, architecture, civic planning, like his knowledge base is insane. He is one of my favorite Instagram accounts to follow because I learn something from him with every single post. Every one. So yeah, it's amazing. He's like, he gives you a little like professorial nugget like every day. It's, it's incredible. And you know, the fact that he's been doing it so long and you know, that he can reimagine something like tower of terror and turn it into guardians of the galaxy mission breakout and achieve the success of that is, is incredible. And I know that none of these guys work alone. Like he, he isn't the only person that does these things, but you know, it's, it's his creative leadership that drives uh, the boat when he's in charge of a team. And yeah, he would be so much fun to sit down with and, I mean, I think the ultimate bucket list would just be go to go on a trip somewhere with Joe Rody. Like, right. Right. Let's go to Tibet. You know, <laughs> be like, go Kevin, with Joe are you ready? We're going to take a red eye 245 yeah. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, leave your bags. I packed this one for you. We're good to go. What's in there? A pair of underwear, a toothbrush and a bottle of water. <laughs> Yeah, a, a sack of gold to barter with. We're going with nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Like, I feel like he's an embodiment of that. What is it? The Adventurers Club or whatever that yeah. all the characters that unite all the parks, right? I feel like he's kind of like a living version of one of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like every day would be an adventure. How? I know. It would be never be a boring moment ever with him. <laughs> mm-hmm. I totally agree. I would, I would love to, to get to work with him. Yeah, I mean, Joe is certainly one of those people that is just passionate about what he does, and it clearly shows in the way that he posts mm-hmm. about things. And like you said, his knowledge base is just unmatchable by most. And just the yeah. fact that his zest for life, I think, it comes through in every one of those posts, and how much he just craves knowledge and wants to do those things justice when he wants to share that with the world. Because it's mm-hmm. one thing to share a photograph, but when he's building these locations for people to visit, I mean, he really wants to make sure that you feel like you are there. It's not just yeah. a replica. He wants you to be there. You know, and it, it's, yep. you know, I know he he didn't specifically work on, on Galaxy's Edge, but that's what we talked about, right? The comparison we made was when people go to Pandora, which is one of his major projects, you feel mm-hmm. like you're on Pandora. You don't feel like you're anywhere else, you know, yes. from what I've heard. Mm-hmm. And so that's, yeah, I admire that about him so much. <laughs> totally. Uh, and the fact that he he gives props where they're due every time. And did you see his post congratulating the, the people that um, worked on galaxy's edge? Yes. It was just so genuine and so like well thought out. Like he thanked every level of personnel that worked to make that land happen all the way down to the janitorial staff and the, um, just the cast members. I mean, yeah, he's, He's awesome. He just seems that is awesome. Very genuine and 
I am inspired by him all the time. But yeah, I mean, look, Joe Rody has actually snuck himself into some attractions around the world. So technically he is part of that adventurous club that you were talking about. Cause he, his, the likeness to Harrison Hightower in Tokyo. It's true. I mean, yeah. so I mean, <laughs> technically he is part of that club <laughs> for all intents and purposes. So yeah. anyway, uh, yeah, Joe Rody was on my list, but I felt like there's, there's a handful of names on here that I feel that at some point in the rotation, one of us is going to say, so I have other names that I that I'm going to talk about because he's <laughs> he was on that short list too, right? So mm-hmm. technically of the four or five that we wanted to discuss, I have a list of ten because I know we have oh, wow. similar similar likes as far as some of these people that we would want to talk to. So I scratched off Joe from my list because, you know, it would be pointless to mention him again. Got uh, it. So cool. Cool. Um so I'm actually going to keep the the same trend uh, that I talked about with my first pick. And it's going to be someone else that work very closely with Walt. Uh, this name actually might be a little bit more familiar to most of you listening. And that person's name is Hazel George. Hazel George was Walt's nurse. Uh, she was in charge of his therapy sessions. And there was a lot of things that you know, Walt would tell her in confidence and because they had such a good relationship, I'm sure that she heard a lot of things that other people didn't get a chance to hear. Right. And there's one quote from Hazel George that I think I instantly connected with because like sometimes I feel like I have a snarky sense of humor. And one thing she told Walt kind of stuck with me. So they were in a therapy session, and then Walt said, You know, Hazel, after I die, I would hate to look down at the studio and find everything in a mess. Hazel responded with, What makes you think you won't be using a periscope? Basically <laughs> insinuating that wow. you know, he'd be going in the opposite wow. direction. And, I mean, when I heard that quote... I lost it, you know, because I don't feel that there are many people that had that type of relationship with Walt where they could kind of mess with him like that and he wouldn't instantly (laughs) be offended. But I think that because of the relationship that he had with her, she could do stuff like that and kind of keep Walt on check outside of the yes, Mr. Disney, yes, Walt that he heard all day. Right. Yeah. I think another thing that people don't know about her is that she wrote a lot of songs under the pseudonym Gil George for the studio. I think she's penned like 90 different songs for Disney. Yeah. A a lot of stuff for the Mickey Mouse Club, for Zorro. Uh, She was responsible for the song Talent Roundup. So, yeah, I mean, she had so many contributions that I feel were overlooked And one of the biggest ones that essentially gave Walt, not necessarily the idea, but it it really allowed Walt to see himself really building Disneyland was Hazel was the one that convinced Walt to go to the Chicago Railroad Fair, you know, and that fair is kind of where the structure of Disneyland came from for Walt. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the stories that I think she could tell You know, when Walt was in those therapy sessions, he was in one of the most vulnerable states, 
You know, he could barely move. She was trying to help him. And the stories that I think she'd be able to tell, I think, would be unrivaled by many. So Hazel George yeah. is my second pick. That's a nice. good pick. Jeez. I like how you're going for all the ones that can give you the tea. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> At least initially. Yeah. At least initially. Oh. Well, here's why. You know, here, here's the thing. I realized that we hear a lot about the the things that made Walt Walt. But to a certain extent, we hear a lot of that in a very filtered format. And we hear and read about the things that were approved for us to read in many ways. Sure. And sure. no business that has ever gotten to the level of the Walt Disney Company got to that level from not failing and not having insecurities. And I mean, to be completely honest with you guys and I guess everybody listening right now, you know, I, like running the podcast and stuff like that, there's, I, I have a lot of insecurities about it. You know, I always wonder like, well, how many people are listening? You know, how many people download it? And at times it, it can be kind of a mania that takes over you. And so you have to keep yourself on check. And I think having you guys around and having my wife around and having people surrounding me that can keep me on check so that I don't go absolutely crazy, uh, I think is super helpful. But listening to stories from people like Hazel George and all these people that work with him, like Tommy Wilk, almost help ground me in a way that makes me feel that, wow, before they reached that successful plateau they hit all these all these other walls that eventually they they were able to get past and so every time that i feel like i hit a wall with something whether it's designing or editing or whatever the case is i think back on these types of stories and it helps me move forward you know so i draw inspiration from that not in a way where like i want to hear the tea like it's more right. inspiration like you can do it. It's like the little engine that could, right? You need that little mm -hmm. extra boost to be able to push you through to the next level. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that that's why I would like to talk to them. But anyway. <laughs> My second person actually would want to have dinner with this person, not lunch. And you'll Ooh, find out why. Okay. Um, this woman has one of the greatest voices in the park. And she has voiced Maleficent, Lady Tremaine, Leota, and Pelly. And I'm talking about Eleanor Audley. Nice. Yes. yes, I've been mentioning her a whole lot. I love this woman and what she's done. <laughs> so, I mean, imagine having that chance to sit down and hear the process of her first thoughts when she knew she was going to be Maleficent. I am so curious. Here goes the rabbit hole. I, I'm very curious as to how she did that laugh. How many times did she have to get that laugh after she curses Aurora? Like, was there a process? Like, how did, what did you feel? And not just that, but how, what did she, did she do anything to prepare herself for Lady Tremaine, for Pele, for Leota? Like, like kind of like behind the scenes, because it's, it's more of like inspiration. How did you get there? What did you do? Mm -hmm. And from a crafting standpoint, when you see something new, you want to learn more about it and what 
this person did to create this this art you know now the reason I said dinner is because it could be you know I want to say river but no 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 let's say dream suite we're having lunch we're having dinner why not and we get to watch <laughs> Fantasmic how awesome would it be to be sitting with her watching her character come alive I mean who knows maybe she, I don't know maybe she knew she was going to be a dragon one day I don't know but how awesome would it be to sit down and watch that happen with her? Oh my God, what if she turned into a dragon while sitting next to you? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's that kind of a thing. I, I would fangirl, but I mean, that would be a dream to experience mm -hmm. yeah. that with her. So yeah, oh. that's why I would want to have dinner. <laughs> I, I agree. It would be very interesting to hear about what her process was like for preparation mm -hmm. for something like Leota. Because, you know, the Haunted Mansion has created so much of what we now envision as a haunted house and the things you might see in it and Halloween in general. Mm -hmm. Before the Haunted Mansion opened in 1969... I don't know that there were a whole lot of images or representations of heads inside crystal balls. Lots right. of like creepy seances and things like that. But I feel like that was a pretty unique take on the whole idea of a seance, having this disembodied head inside the crystal ball. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there was no previous territory for her to look back on when she approached that role. So... I mean, she really created something iconic in the park and in the world. And, you know, uh, and of course, those great characters that she uh, voiced as well. But to me, like Leota would be the one that's like th nothing like that had been done before ever. Yeah. Right. Not that I'm aware of anyway. Yeah. I would like to ask how much of a method actress she was, you know, because mm -hmm. you hear about all these actors in Hollywood that basically become the characters that they're about to portray in an upcoming role. And it, imagine she's just walking around, going to the grocery store, laughing like Maleficent when, <laughs> you know, it's, what a crazy thing to think about. Totally. Right. So to ask her something like that would be fantastic. Ah, great choice again. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, it's back to me now, yeah, yeah, isn't back it? To it you. is. I'm just, I'm just thinking of Maleficent. Uh, okay. <laughs> So my next one is actually the individual that I would personally consider my all-time favorite Disney artist. Oh, thanks, buddy. Not Disney-inspired <laughs> artist. Oh, got it, Actual got it. Disney Aww. artist. I say that with love because all three of us are Disney-inspired artists. Not yet, at least. <laughs> right? Uh, although Imagineering should definitely be paying us by this point. We've proven that. Uh, yeah, this individual created the look of many of the films um, in the golden era of Disney animation, most notably um, Sleeping Beauty. So it's kind of a nice segue from Maleficent. Nice. So it's none other than legendary Ivan yes. Earl. And Ugh. this man has the most incredible catalog, not just with Disney, but his own portfolio of paintings, um, you know, all the way through the 1990s. He is the most incredible fantasy landscape artist I 
have ever come across. He is so amazingly creative and was able to develop a style wholly unto himself. Nobody else painted like Ivan Earl, and you can instantly recognize his work when you see it. And, you know, I've always had an affinity for landscape, and I've always loved trees and things like that. And he just, he nails all of that. And I don't know, I for me, it's just one of those artist dreams to be able to speak with a legendary artist uh, and just hear their thoughts on how they approach art, you know, kind of like what Melissa was saying about, um, you know, approaching an acting role, the same thing. Like, how did you approach this painting? Like, what was your process? Where did you come up with this insane idea for this look for Sleeping Beauty? And do you realize how much of a genius you are? (laughs) Like, (laughs) That's what I I would fanboy over that. Um, So, yeah, just, you know, just to kind of, absorb some of the knowledge of a talent like that and a and a truly inspiring artist that is to me unrivaled in the disney um canon and that's saying something because there are some titanic artists within the company that are supremely talented on the very highest level and just to me he's he's tops so i would love to eat lunch with ivan durrell or dinner or breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> or snacks. Or snacks. <laughs> or just walk around everywhere talking to him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think with with so many of the original artists, you have an opportunity to level up in a way that you just couldn't by reading a book or going to just any class or school or anything, right? Because when you Mm -hmm. think of a a dude like Andreas Deja, for instance, like he worked Mm -hmm. under these artists as well. And look what he accomplished. Like every single one of these artists had an apprentice, so to speak. And so I can only imagine like your work already is on a scale of one to 10, like a freaking 24. So I can only imagine like where you would be if you worked under the tutelage of an Ivan Earl. Yeah, it would be something else. I tell you that much. You know, it reminds me, did you ever see there was a film that I believe was an episode of one of the Disney television shows back where he goes to paint the tree? Yeah, we're him, and I think it's Mark Davis, yes. and uh, there's four of them. They all go and paint this. They all go out into the into a field somewhere, and they pick this cool, like gnarly tree with, you know, a, an interesting shape, and they all paint it, and they all give their own take on how to paint a tree. I love that uh, show. I don't remember what it's called, but if you can find it, it's so worth watching. If you have any interest in art whatsoever it is a fascinating look at different approaches and all four of the people that do it are just supreme masters at their craft so it's yeah i'm pretty sure that it was just called four artists paint one tree i think that's what it is yeah that sounds right like part of the adventure and art series that they were doing in the late 50s yeah oh so good yeah i'm gonna try to find that video i'm sure it's floating around on youtube I'll try to find it, it to and be. I'll put it in the blog post, podcasters.com slash 262. It's just fascinating, the, the different takes on this one tree. But mm-hmm. each take is so the style of each one of these artists that you've become familiar yeah. with. So, yeah, 
Uh, ah, okay. Now I want to watch that again. Okay. Ugh, so excited. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, my next selection is m- more to quench my thirst for knowledge when it comes to the Disney company. Oh, I bet I know who this is. I, I bet you do too. <laughs> uh, he was the chief archivist at the Disney mm-hmm. company. And nice. yeah, I, I think I would just, and, and look, there's books that this gentleman has written that have a lot of questions. He had the ask Dave column for such a long time and there was nothing that you could not ask him that he did not have an answer for. He was basically the internet of the Disney company before there was an internet and even into Mm -hmm. the internet. And that is none other than Disney legend, Dave Smith. I feel like Dave Smith has heard every question multiple amount of times, you know, Mm -hmm. anything that you can ask. But I think that if, there were times that I heard interviews with him and, and this is, I think one of the things that, that really bugs me that, um, you know, I, I was in the process of trying to reach out to get him on the podcast at one point. Oh. And, uh, unfortunately, oh. you know, when he passed away, uh, I, I, I realized we were never going to have that opportunity to sit down and chat with him. I, I, there's just so much that I feel like I would have wanted to ask him and it just makes me wonder how much of that did he take with him? You mm-hmm. know, because there's books, there's the magazines. Uh, obviously, thanks to him, we have the Disney archive. I mean, who has the sense to think, look, you're building something here. You should archive this. You should really have a tangible record of all the things that you've been doing so that one day you can look back and, and see what you've accomplished. Mm-hmm. And it's not something people normally think about. You know, maybe some people will keep a journal. Some people might chronicle what's happening in photographs. But the fact that he had the foresight to archive and tag and really, really catalog every single piece of Disney history from the studio to the buildings to the books that have been printed, everything, letters between Walt and people that he interacted with. And uh, there's just there's so much. You know, and I think if I ever had the opportunity to just freely go into the Disney archives, I feel like we would have a very similar feeling to what we felt when we went to Galaxy's Edge, where Mm -hmm. you're just overtaken by everything that's there, right? You have that sensory overload that we talked about. But sitting down with Dave, I'm sure that I would have the opportunity to not just ask him a question, but to ask him those follow-up questions that I, I feel we don't get answers to because sometimes you read these books and these questions are D23 interviews and you get the question, you get a straight answer. But what if you have three or four other questions as a follow-up? You never got yeah. a chance to ask yeah. those. And I think that's where that conversation would generally lead to. Like I would start with a list of, so in this issue you said this and this about this. <laughs> I'd like to follow up with five questions about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure he would have five answers for for that, you know. So, yeah, uh, Dave Smith, Dave Smith would be my my next choice. He probably is the person who had the greatest individual knowledge of the Disney Company, um, probably head and shoulders above anybody else. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. 
it's Easy. not even close like that yeah it was <clears throat> i had the same question uh when he passed away um is is how much knowledge did he take with him you know like i know he endeavored for basically his entire career to get all of that knowledge recorded but so much knowledge is anecdotal and experiential and he was around for so many decades involved in so many things that yeah it's it's one of the that kind of generation's last remaining you know true personal like uh knowledge bases that existed until recently and yeah there's there's not many of that original guard left you know and it's it's sad but uh they all have left such incredible legacies and i i hope that he is always remembered amongst the most important people within the company because we wouldn't have so much of the things that we have you know amazing books and histories and you know things that you know like a lot of people that write biographies of disney or histories of the park they ask for access to the archives and if they're granted that that's like their main resource for research mm -hmm. because it's all there in one central place it's it's truly incredible what he created but think about that things like d23 may not have even existed if that thirst yeah. for knowledge wasn't there right right yeah. because d23 magazine and all these other things that that have been around over the years came from disney fanatics like us just wanting to ask more and gain more knowledge about what's happening behind the scenes and you know that i feel like those were all inspired by the creation of the archive and dave's answers to questions you know monthly or weekly or daily or every minute if i was around he would hate me <laughs> I, I just realized that <laughs> i would just bother him by asking him so many questions oh i would apologize to him every day <laughs> man. Oh, man. how do i top that it's like Oh, so heartfelt. <laughs> that was a good choice. Thank you. It was a really good choice. Just to pick his brain. Oh, right. What a... <laughs> so my third choice is another voice in the park. And we all know his voice. And it's Thurl Ravenscroft. <gasps> and... I think I could probably just not even talk and just listen to this guy's voice if you weren't sure who he, who he is. He is one of the Sinking Bus or Tony the Tiger, but right now we're sticking in a Haunted Mansion and he's actually one of the pirates. Just that voice is so unique. Again, I would pick his brain and I would love to know if he even thought or wondered if Yoho, a pirate's life for me, or Grim Grinning Ghosts would be such hits, you know, 50 years later. Mm -hmm. You know, to get that chance to ask him, like, look at what it's done. Look at us. Look at what this has become. Like, this would be amazing. And I would love to hear his, his thoughts, his insights. Um, if he had to get into character for a singing bust. I mean, because you, you see that he's, you know acting out oh yeah so He's it's like what did you part. do yeah. yeah and 
of course, I again, like I said, I, I let him talk and ramble, and I'd be, like, listening because it's a singing bus talking to me. <laughs> yeah. Just to hear the tone of his voice yeah. just right in front of you would be mind-blowing. Just yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's, it'd be like... Like if you had James Earl Jones and him like across the table <gasps> right? from each other, you're just like, <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> oh man, it's, uh, yeah. That's wait. Did you actually say his name? Yeah, you did. I did. Okay. In the beginning. Okay. But I think we just kind of just went yeah. right in through it because we we're just. I was just so excited okay. to just talk I about him. You, I, you started describing, and I just immediately started thinking of all the cool things. So I missed you saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I st- it's so funny. As soon as you said the singing bus, the next thing I heard in my head was "They're great," and then you said Tony the Tiger, <laughs> and then the next thing I heard was "You're a mean one." Mr. Grinch. Yes. I like, ah, oh my gosh, how did I forget so that? So much, so much. Like, it makes me wonder, what if he sang songs for all the villains? Like, imagine if Maleficent had a Europe, like a Mr. Grinch style song for her. You know what I mean? That'd be crazy. Yeah, yeah that would be awesome. Oh, imagine if he sang Friends on the Other Side. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> And that's a long leap, nice. too, from being Fritz. Is it Fritz that he is in the Tiki Room? Uh, I forgot which bird he is. I think yes. he's Fritz. I'm having a brain yes, fart. Yes, he's Fritz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So good. <laughs> yeah. Excellent pick. So we're on to number four here. I am sticking with the artist category for this pick. Okay. And this is one of the most... Uh, interesting and um, standalone artists within the Disney company uh, played a similar role to Ivan Earl and was basically an artist that developed the look and the concepts, the color palettes, the moods, and the general sense of many of the films of the 50s and 60s, and then went on to create absolute magic for the world's fair and the parks and that is none other than the amazing mary blair oh great choice (laughs) mary blair uh to me encapsulates mid-century artistry and creativity and inventiveness better than anybody else within the disney company and her work on It's a Small World for the New York World's Fair and the other artistic elements that she did for the parks, uh, the murals in Tomorrowland and the contemporary in Walt Disney World. Uh, these are such iconic, vast, epic, amazing pieces that, you know, most of which are intact today, some of which are not, very sadly. Uh, But her artistry really knew no bounds. And I and I really enjoy going back to her work time and time again. I wish that the concept art that she did for films like Cinderella and even Alice in Wonderland would have been more utilized in those films. Yeah. Those are both um, fairly stylized films, but they kind of started to create a problem that Walt 
eventually identified in that he was employing these incredible artists such as Mary Blair and Ivan Durrell, and they were creating incredible art to inspire the animators, but none of that actual style was making it onto the screen. And Walt lamented that, and eventually with Sleeping Beauty, he said, you guys are going to just put Ivan, Ivan Durrell's art on the screen. Like, none of this, like, watering it down with, you know, cartooniness. You're going to put his artwork on the screen. Yeah. I wish that had happened with Mary Blair, uh, especially with, uh, I think, Cinderella. Uh, maybe even Peter Pan. Like, those two films, the the artwork she did for them was just so whimsical and and beautiful. I I don't know. I just love her approach and her view of the world that you can see through her artistry. And, you know, she worked very closely with Walt. Uh, by many accounts, she was Walt's favorite artist. And she got to travel with Walt and El Grupo as they went through South America on their tour. And I'm sure there are many wonderful tales of that adventure. So, yeah, uh, I love... I love everything that she did. She was a pioneer in her day um, as a female in that industry. And yeah, I adore her. Yeah. On the plus side, uh, at least if you want to see the art from Cinderella that she created, they did Mm -hmm. make those children's books out of them. So you do have the opportunity to still go through all the concept art because you basically told the story you know, in her style as, as they were concepting this entire film. So you may not get it as part of the actual film, but if you get the book, you see exactly what you're talking about. Like she has this very fluid way of drawing that just, you get so much detail, but the fluidity in just her strokes is just Mm -hmm. amazing. I love it. Yeah. And plus she gave us a five legged goat. Word. That's true. Word. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) also and i haven't been yet but i'm going in i believe two weekends currently at the hilbert museum in orange county they have a mary blair exhibit (gasps) that runs through october so disney fans in the area make sure you make the effort to make it over there and check it out i believe it also is happening in conjunction with a norman rockwell uh exhibit so Lots of amazing American art on display currently. Cool. We'll pull the information for that exhibit and we'll put it in the blog post for the episode, podcasters.com slash 262, if you want to check that out. Because anytime you get a chance to see any artist that you admire on display like that, it's it's great. I mean, just that's why I wish we were closer to the Walt Disney Family Museum. Sure. Well, I'll be prepared with a review of that exhibit after I go see it. Right on. I'm looking forward to that. Cool. Okay. Um, so I, I don't know who to say next because I, I, I admire both of these uh, people a lot. But I feel like everyone that I've chosen isn't with us anymore. And I feel like I, I would want to at least choose one that's still with no you know what i'm gonna go with this one and then i'll cap it off after um if yeah, we do one there more you round. Go. so okay so the next person that i'm gonna select recently has played a big role in how i've been shifting my mindset about doing things and the reason for that is because i feel like he was one of the people that was very instrumental 
in how Imagineering became Imagineering because he shared a vision with Walt and shared a vision in how you can find and extract talents from people that others don't necessarily acknowledge are there. And I think in the business world that we live in today, you know, when people go out for jobs, I, I know a lot of people and I feel like I've been in these situations myself where I feel like I'm a great fit for something or I know somebody that's a great fit for something. But, you know, because they don't have, you know, a degree in something, they don't get the job or they're not allowed to do that because it's not in the spectrum of the stuff that they do, you know, but. Marty Sklar, you know, was one of those people that just could find those talents the same way that Walt would and would place you in an avenue that he knew that you would succeed. And I think because he had such a similar mindset to Walt is why he and Walt became such good friends over time and people dubbed Marty the Sorcerer's Apprentice. And reading One Little Spark and Dream It, Do It... There's a lot that I feel that I'm learning from Marty that I feel like I just have follow-up questions that I just, I want to ask him. And, you know, the, the times that I had the opportunity to actually meet him in person, like I think back on those opportunities now and I, 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 I don't know, man. I just feel like as a fan, I, I geeked out, right, meeting them yeah. And but now I think back and I think, why didn't I read this before? Why didn't I have this knowledge before where I could have asked him? But then I try to check myself and I think, but would my mindset have been the same back then? You know, because mm -hmm. I'm not in the situations where I am now trying to build something or trying to make this work. Like, you know, it's all situational. And because of that, I just I don't know. I just would love to sit down with Marty and just talk to him because I also feel that not only would he be able to share this knowledge that I think would help me structure things that I want to do and achieve, but at the same time, I feel that he would give me a, a, a sense of compassion that I feel is generally missing from things that we do, you know, at our jobs or in life sometimes. And, mm -hmm. you know, knowing the type of person that Marty was, you know, he was he was very from what I've heard, you know, he was uh, a hard worker and very strict when it came to getting stuff done. But he was a very compassionate person. And I think that's that's missing in a lot of people these days. Mm -hmm. So to sit down and just pick Marty's brain. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> All the feels. All the feels, man. Seriously. That would be really epic to sit down with him. Yeah, yeah for sure. Again, awesome pick. Thank you. Um, so this person, I don't necessarily want to have lunch. I would love to have tea. And <laughs> You're very specific with these. <laughs> I know. It's because, okay, I would love to sit down with Lillian. Oh. Okay. So that's why I would think tea would be a little bit more appropriate yeah I, and I feel you so to have that chance to sit down with her and kind of i would love to compare her experience following up 
before Disneyland opened. And that would be one thing is to, to compare. Um, I know it's not the same. I've camped out for many of Disneyland's events. So to hear what her side would be like coming up the day that it was going to open. And then I would like tell her, hey, you know, will this happen Da 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 for the 60th and whatnot? Kind of like talk to her about that and kind of get some insight. But what I would love to hear, too, is when she decided on Mickey's name mm. and that moment of how she's seen that happened all the way up to Disneyland, just hearing from her perspective, I think it'd be really different, really unique. Um, and her influence on Club 33, just her style, her input, what she's done. And of course, what led up to the purchase of the petrified tree, because I'm curious <laughs> too. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, it would be like one of those experiences where it would just be pretty whimsical and dainty and just a different, like a different energy. Mm -hmm. I feel like I would get that from her. Oh my God. Imagine starting off taking the lily bell around the park. (gasps) Yes, please. Getting (laughs) off in New Orleans square and walking to club 33 for tea with Lillian. Sold. And it technically <laughs> fits. And it technically fits what I was talking about at the beginning too, because before she was Lillian Disney, she was Lillian mm-hmm. Bounds, Walt's yep. first secretary. So I'm just yep. saying. <laughs> full circle. The full circle. Full circle. Just yeah. like Grand the circle tour of the Magic Kingdom. <laughs> wow, that's a great choice. Yeah, that would be cool because you know I feel like. From his family, we've heard the most from his daughters, right? Yeah. Right. And, you know, children often have a very different view of a person than their spouse. So I think you would get a a perspective that I don't feel like we've heard a lot from with that choice. So, yeah, that could be very interesting. All right. Let's set this one up. (laughs) Can we? Time machine time? Yeah. (laughs) Right? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're going to need a lot of time machines. We are. Uh, <laughs> we're going to need a lot of those pin particles. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gavin, like, he glossed over. Now, I, I it, don't know. It, it took a half second, but I, <laughs> I, I'm there with you. I got it. I got it. Marvel nerd. <laughs> uh, okay, so my last choice um, is, so I talked about Joe Rohde, who I feel like is kind of, um, still in the current generation of Imagineering. So I'm going back to the just previous era of Imagineering to an individual who has created so many of my very favorite and most iconic attractions throughout the parks. Uh, and that's none other than Hazen's new friend, <laughs> Tony Baxter. <laughs> <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend. I wish so hard nice. for that to be true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tony in recent years has been named a Disney legend. He's gotten his window on Main Street. The guy is solidly in the, to me, like the Mount Rushmore of Disney Imagineering. Um, you know, the work that he brought us in basically creating the Disney mountain range 
um, you know, post Matterhorn with Big Thunder and Splash. Uh, I just, I love his approach to attractions and the storytelling within. And to me, as amazingly immersive and textured and detailed the things that Joe Rody creates are, Tony brings that Disney romanticism and magic, kind of like I discussed with Haley Mills at the beginning of our discussion. Yeah. The things that Tony led, the projects that he led, to me just imbue that Disney spirit. You know, they really have a fun, imaginative storytelling core, and the artistry involved in them are you know, filled with whimsy. Obviously, the revamping of Fantasyland in 1983 and Big Thunder and Splash, like I mentioned, and then probably what he would consider his crowning achievement was being the creative lead on uh, Euro Disney, which later became Disneyland Paris. I mean, come on. It's hard to top, you know, the things that, uh, he was able to bring us and I just I feel like he's got a kind of a jolly jovial warm spirit about him when he talks and I think he would have so many great stories to tell he loves telling stories because he's on like every documentary and video yeah. that he makes so <laughs> he loves telling stories uh, I love the stories of his early days that he always re- retells about being an ice cream scooper at the park mm-hmm. and being able to like duck his head into some back door in Pirates of the Caribbean and Imagineers like inviting him in to like test the ride before it was open. And I mean, just he's been on a Disney adventure since the 60s and I would love to hear every moment of it. I, I keep hoping hoping he's going to give us an autobiography at some point. Oh my god, that would be so yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Oh totally. that would just <laughs> oh, just thinking yeah. about it, I got goosebumps. Right? Oh <laughs> yeah. He's the next big one I want a biography from. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Can you ask him some indie stories for me? Of course. Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think it would be great for us to ask him that because I'm just going to take this opportunity yes. and just say, Tony, join us on Podcateers. Yes. Let's just sit down and yes. chat. And one of the next episodes should be a chat with Tony Baxter. Heck yes. Just throwing it down. I, I think it would be awesome. Send that out to the universe. Yeah. Send it out. So if anybody knows Tony Baxter, I'd love to get an opportunity for us to sit down and talk with him. And just chat about totally. his life and his inspirations and everything that he's accomplished. Because, you know, Tony and I actually share something in common. We both What's went that? to Cal Poly Pomona. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very and cool. for nice. his senior thesis, he actually made a Mary Poppins attraction, which he was able to show somebody yes. at WED, which is kind of how he story. got into that circle and started yep. working on stuff there. So, ah, so cool. I love it. And the fact that there's still not a Mary Poppins attraction is atrocious. <laughs> we need Cherry Tree Lane to come to Main Street. It's got to happen. We should come up with a word like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious that means the complete opposite. So it should be like <laughs> super frumpalicious 
You know what I mean? Like we should come yeah. up with our own word <laughs> and then put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hashtag it. <laughs> cool, man. Uh, well, Tony was one of the two people I was debating to talk about before I went with nice. Marty. Nice. Uh, so I'm going to go with my next person on the list, and that is Floyd Norman. Ooh, nice. good pick. Yeah, Floyd Norman, uh, aside from being just an amazingly talented artist, uh, holds a really unique place in Disney history, especially at the studio, as the first African-American animator that was employed by the Disney company. So mm-hmm. his take and his experiences, I think, are absolutely unique to anybody there outside of the Ink and Paint Girls. And maybe like Mary Blair's experiences, you know, working with Wed and with Walt and stuff. So um, I, I just... There's so many things I want to ask him as far as like how things were in the studio, how he was received, how like what were the types of things that were hardest for him, you know, to mesh with and work with. And maybe a little bit of tea on this one and just be like, who was the hardest to work with, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when he left the company and started making videos on his own, like uh, there's just so much that I would want to sit down and ask him uh, that I I think – it would just be a fascinating afternoon to sit down with Floyd. And he's such a witty guy. He's got these wisecracks, man, that just – he does not <laughs> care about letting loose. That's the other thing. That he's just <laughs> so awesome. honest that if there's something that he feels passionate about, he will make that known. You know, he will not hold back. And that's one of the things that I really admire about Floyd. So mm-hmm. if – I ever had an opportunity, uh, I guess that's another invitation that I'm extending out now officially into the universe. Yeah. I would love an opportunity for us to sit down and chat with Floyd Norman. Nice. Yeah. Uh, that's oh, a oh, yeah. fantastic pick. Very good. Mel, do you have any more? Nope, no, that was it. She's right. out. All right, well... Um, you, uh, you've got a couple left, don't you, Hazen? You want to do some honorable mentions just real quick? Because uh, I've got one more that I'll, I'll give an honorable mention to. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll I'll wrap it up with one. Um, I, yeah, I guess I could do a couple more. But there's, there's one, really, that I think I just want to kind of punctuate with. Mm-hmm. So okay. let's just do one more. How about that? Okay, Okay. let's just do one more then. So this person was very close, and I think it was um, on my list purely out of intrigue Um, and a slight desire for some tea as well, which has been a common theme tonight. (laughs) The Mad Hatter. Um, I would kind of love the chance to sit down with Michael Eisner. Ooh, the, great choice. The, the lightning rod character of all time within the Disney company. I feel like he is easily the most controversial, most one of the most influential, one of the people who truly changed the landscape of Disney the world over. And I would just love to hear his thoughts on all of it. Um, you know, e- like... Even with some perspective, you know, like many years on now, like, okay, looking back, like, what are your thoughts? I would love to hear some firsthand accounts of, you know, his early days, 
his fall from grace, all of it. Official invitation? Heck yeah. Official invitation <laughs> out into the universe. Michael Eisner, <laughs> let's chat. <laughs> It'll be interesting, that's for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. I would love to hear a lot because, you know, we've said it before, like, in a lot of ways, there was some vilification that happened. Um, may or may not be justified. I don't know all the details. But right. he did a lot of positive things for the company as well. Gave us a lot of expansion and growth that we wouldn't have today if it wasn't for the things that he endeavored to do. Did he get a little too ambitious? Probably so. But... You know, without that ambition, there's a lot of things we wouldn't have at all. Yeah. Yeah. True. Agreed. That's a great choice, man. And I got to tell you that it wraps up my final one quite nicely. Because to punctuate everything, I would love to sit down and talk with Bob Iger. (laughs) Of course. Bob Iger is definitely on my bucket list of... Uh, cast members uh, at Disney that I would just love to sit down and chat with and just pick his brain because Bob Iger isn't just a Disney fan, isn't just a Marvel fan, isn't just a Pixar fan. Like He has this business acclimate that not many people have, you know, and to have the foresight to take these companies and build what has been built from them Um, Mm -hmm. in many cases, I feel like a lot of those got to the next level. You know, some of them may have been in trouble and they may have needed a little bit of help, but just from where he started at ESPN and where he is now, I feel like there's a lot that I could learn from Bob Iger and just the stories that he could tell. And again, and, and this is obviously asking for a lot, but the opportunity to hear the stories firsthand of those times that you know he just felt vulnerable about some decision that he had to make or a big acquisition or something that he felt was going wrong and just how he dealt with all of that because it's it's always interesting to me how people deal with these things that stress them out on a daily basis and yeah, yeah. everything that all the successes are awesome you know, and their feathers in everybody's hat. But how you deal with all of the failures is essentially how you move up to that next level, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel that not only has he had his own failures that he's had to deal with, not many, obviously, as we've seen historically, but, you know, there's been a couple things that may not have been well-received. But overall, he had to clean up a lot of what happened with not just with Michael Eisner, but with other companies that may have been mismanaged. And so as Disney began to bring all these entities in under the Disney umbrella, I understand that he assigns people or people are put into positions that handle those things. But, you know, regardless, they all roll up to him. And so he has to ultimately deal with all of that because he has to answer mm-hmm. to shareholders. And so I think it would be fascinating to sit down and just have a candid talk about what it's like running a multi-billion dollar company and more importantly, how he deals with it as a person, you know, Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Bob Iger, official invitation. (laughs) Yeah. Putting the gauntlet down on that one, too. That that, that (laughs) one feels more like a pipe dream right now. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> More than anything. Yeah. <laughs> but, dude, ultimate bucket list item. Get a chance to sit down and chat with Bob Iger. Nice. You Very never know. Cool. So, there you go. All right. Well, we hope that you have enjoyed the lists that we have compiled as far as who we'd like to sit down and have some food with or some tea or some breakfast or some lunch or dinner or some (laughs) snacks around the park. If you came up with any that maybe we didn't talk about, we'd love for you to join the conversation and share those people with us. You can search for Podcateers on Instagram, Twitter, or on Facebook. You can also leave a comment on the blog post for this episode at podcateers.com slash 262. We'd love to hear all the people that you came up with and why you would like to sit with them and just um, share a drink or share a meal with them. All right, well, before we wrap up the podcast, uh, I know we mentioned the FGP squad just a short while ago. If you are unable to join the FGP squad, but you still like what you hear and you like to help out the podcast, we have a really great way for you to help, and that's by using our Amazon link. You can find the big Amazon button by going to podcasters.com slash Amazon. Click it. It'll take you to Amazon, and anything that you purchase may earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon because we were like, hey, use our Amazon link, and then you did, and then Amazon's like, hey, thanks for using the Podcasters link. And every time that you do that, again, we get a small commission as a thank you from Amazon. So to everybody that's taking just a few extra seconds to start their Amazon purchase by going to podcateers.com slash Amazon and clicking on that big old button, we just want to say thank you because it certainly helps. And we appreciate you going through those motions. All right. Anything before we wrap this burrito up and eat it? Um, who gets yep. to use the time machine first for these lunch dates? Well, I mean, oh. considering that I know about the pin particle technology the most, Got I think it. it would be best for me to test it. Okay. And use it. It'll okay. only feel like I'm gone for five minutes. That's fine. And then, and then we can make suits for all of us, and we okay. can just go to all the points in time, and then reconvene and talk about how we collected the infinity stones and who we talked to okay. yeah we'll follow up perfect All right. that sounds like a plan just nobody snap their fingers just, no 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 that's that one. is not allowed that's not allowed no no finger snapping <laughs> <laughs> okay so that is going to wrap it up for this episode until next time keep dreaming keep moving forward and always remember to pass on the magic have a great week everyone bye Major luck.